0: Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. guest this morning, uh, Nancy Hutchins will be sharing the message with us. Many of you know Nancy and her husband. Brandon back when Stonebridge was a church of eight people, they were part of the eight when we were sitting around a table trying to figure out what we were doing. So their fingerprints are all over this church. Uh, we've been so thankful for the way they have invested and served and led from day one. And Nancy is a gifted teacher, and I'm really pleased that we'll have the opportunity to experience her gifts this morning. Uh, she's a student of the Word, but the, the biggest thing for me is she loves the Bible, and that'll come out when she talks. She'll be able to tell very, very quickly she loves the truth. And so there, there's something good for us this morning. I'm looking forward to having her uh, come up.
1: Good morning. good morning. Well, y'all, I thought the 9 o'clock service was smaller. <laughs> We're a huge church. (laughs) I don't come at 9 o'clock. I had a girlfriend text me yesterday morning and say that she was praying for me as I prepared for this. And I wrote back and said, oh, honey, would you bring me my water? And I wrote back to her and said, I am so grateful for your prayers because I must be feeling the load of responsibility for this talk because I... Just dreamed that I adopted a baby and got a puppy in the, <laughs> in the same night. Same dream, same night. Literally, I was ooh, the baby's beautiful. You know, handling both. I've been feeling, I've been feeling the pressure as I've prepared. So hold on here, y'all. Let me, get my, let me get myself set up here. Okay. Y'all pray with me. How great you are, O Sovereign Lord. There is no God but you. Lord, help me to make Jesus our Lord and Savior plain today. I pray that you would give my words wings. And I pray that you would bless the hearers of your word. Amen. All right. If you've got a Bible, you can open up to Mark chapter 4, verses 26 to 29. If you don't have a Bible... Maybe you can read along on the screen. Oh, sorry. Okay. The parable of the growing seed. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like a man scatters seed. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how, all by itself. The soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Okay, so Jesus is speaking to the crowds, and David's done a great job of teaching us about who these crowds were and what they were learning and what they were not learning. So he's teaching a large crowd, and he only uses parables. When he's speaking to the larger groups, he speaks very directly to his disciples, but he only uses parables when he's speaking to crowds. So I think what's fun about this little parable, it's very short, is that we might expect, and I think our first century hearers might have expected Jesus to say the kingdom of heaven is like a majestic mountaintop, a castle surrounded by legions of guards, the sun, the moon, the stars. A sunrise, a sunset, and all those things I think are, we could find parallels to make them like the kingdom of heaven, but he uses this startling, ordinary language to describe an extraordinary truth, okay? So <clears throat> I'm gonna breeze through these first two parables and we're gonna go quick. And so we're gonna break it down into two parts. When we read this parable, what do we learn about God? And then secondly, what can we learn about ourselves? What questions might we ask ourselves as we pass through these, these stories? So, so, with this first parable, what do we learn about God? Well, number one, we learn that God is kind enough and patient enough just to stop and describe for, him, for us Himself, to take a moment and tell us what He is like is really. It's a profound thought in itself. If he's up there saying, This is what it's like. This is what my kingdom is like. This is what it's like to be a part of what I'm doing. It's a big deal for him to stoop and just communicate with us and tell us about himself. Uh, Secondly, God's kingdom and God's word has intrinsic power in itself, it is just like a seed has regenerative power. And there's no technology that we can add to a seed. And no man has ever created a seed that can sprout a plant and grow fruit. God's kingdom is like this. All by itself, it will grow and it will produce fruit that's beneficial for all. All right, thirdly, we can learn that God's work is mysterious. It's invisible at times. Seeds do most of their work underground. And many times God's kingdom will feel the same way. Uh, It is always growing. It is always on the move. But it is mysterious and sometimes invisible. And then finally, we learn that God cooperates with us, which is just tremendous to think about and consider. He cooperates with us. The farmer is involved with this process. He does scatter the seed, but really his involvement ends there. And I cherish the fact that God tells us that this farmer then goes on to sleep and rise and work and sleep and rise and work. And all the while, God's kingdom is on the move. So finally, we see that the farmer gets to gather in a harvest, and that's really where his involvement ends as well. So questions to ask yourself, all right? Number one, are you scattering seed? And what I mean by that is, are you sharing your story, um, your God's story, Um, In order to share a story, you have to have a story, and in order to have have a story, you have to be listening and noticing God's involvement in your life, so that's a discipline in itself, but as you begin to do that, you're going to have a story, and you've got an amazing opportunity to share it each and every day, so I would ask you, are you sharing your story? Rob McDowell, he's a pastor out in West Cobb, he says, share your story, and God gets the glory, so do it stories are sticky uh they have power and so and no, and here's the best part about sharing your story no one can argue with your story you don't have to defend your story you can just tell it you can just tell it um so yeah Get your story out there. Just recently, I shared with my Bible study girls, I had had a dream overnight, and it was really interesting, and it had to do with my daughter's wedding, I felt like, and so I just paused when I got up, and I asked God, was that dream, like, from you? Were you wanting to tell me something? And I'm telling you, he just spoke to me immediately immediately so 30 minutes later when my girls hit the door at 6 30 I said girls I had a dream last night and I asked God what's it mean is it is it is there something here for me and he and there was and he told me you know it's just amazing and I remember that dream because I shared it with those girls so share your story God gets the glory um there's lo- probably lots of sharers in here, people who are like, yes, I do share, and yes, I am talking about the Lord all the time. If that's you, then you might need to take a lesson from this farmer who rested and just know that God's kingdom is coming and God's kingdom is working and you mm, can rest I got it, David. Here it comes. I'm going to hold it. I'll put it on the table because the chair's going to knock it off. You can rest. God's kingdom is coming. It's a beautiful thing. All right. Next passage, Mark chapter 4, verses 30 to 34. Do you all have that up there? Yeah, there we go. Good. Okay. Okay. Um, here we go. Let's keep going. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of heaven is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet when planted, it becomes the largest of all garden plants. With such big branches that birds can perch in its shade. So, <clears throat> a word on mustard plants. We got pictures. So, mustard seeds grow into annual winter herb bushes. They're not really trees. They're just big old bushes right there. Aren't they beautiful? They grow really fast. They typically reach maturity in 60 days. So they grow from really, if you've ever seen one, a very tiny seed into that Sometimes reaching 12 feet tall, they branch profusely and truly birds do perch in mustard plants. So once again, we've got Jesus using a botanical image here, but this time his focus is not on this mysterious growth, but it's on this contrast between a tiny seed, a tiny beginning, and an enormous outcome Okay, Jesus is capitalizing on the proverbially small mustard seed to drive home this profound point about small beginnings becoming enormous outcomes. So I think it's fun to note that commentary says that Jesus' hearers would have been really, really surprised once again to hear this language describing Jesus' kingdom. So the popular vision of the first century hearer would have envisioned God's kingdom coming as a cataclysmic event. Jesus' contemporaries would have compared God's kingdom more to a thunderstorm than to a mustard seed. And we can understand why. Because we know that mustard seeds do not overthrow kingdoms. And mustard seeds do not shake everything up on a dime. They just start really small. But they grow really, really huge really fast. So what should we take away with us? It's always good to do it in two steps. I love this format. It's, I'm, I'm kind of knocking off the discovery Bible method for doing Bible study to take, what do we learn about God? And then what do we learn about ourselves or about humans? So here we go. Let's do it again. What do we learn about God? Well, he's big. He's so big and his plans are enormous, but he loves to use small things. And so I just love this verse. Zechariah 4.10 says, Do not despise the day of small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. God's very small beginnings can grow from insignificant to incomprehensible. This is what God does. And this is how he works. And isn't it Amazing to think that God, who can speak something into existence, just speak it into existence, he would rather sketch it on a napkin and then get it on some plans on the table with a drafter and then hire a great surveyor to come and prepare the land. He he who can do all things with the power of his word He uses just these small beginnings. It's precious. We can cherish that about him. His work grows from insignificant to incomprehensible. And it's also fascinating to think that God's work is both slow and fast. It's both slow and fast because of the way we experience time. We all know we've experienced 60 days that have dragged by. We thought they would never end. It felt like 60 years and we've also experienced sixty days that <laughs> went in a in a in a blank. So God's work is both slow and fast. Um, all right, let me read you this quote, and t- let me know if you if you find yourself in this. I don't know if it's for everybody, but it certainly uh, I find myself in this. For some of us, for some reason or another, we embrace the bigness of God. And his mission without likewise embracing his love for the small. And then, finding ourselves unable to escape the small, we can begin to chafe and mutter. We're big dreamers, hemmed in behind and before by a small job, a small church, a small town, or even a small life. Um, I think... We can, many of us can identify with that. We want to get on board with the big plan. We can see God's got a big thing that he's doing and we want to be a part of it. But we don't realize or we forget that God's big plan is built on the back of small acts of obedience. Just small moments. And what I mean by that, stop signs. Obeying the speed limit on Kennesaw Avenue, y'all, it's just almost impossible. That blinking sign is, I mean it. I I mean it. It's small acts of obedience. And when you begin to just turn over every opportunity to the Lord and be obedient in those things, you are going to see that this is how God works. This is how he accomplishes his big dream. So questions to ask yourself. Are you despising the day of small things or in other words, would you consider dedicating your life to small acts of obedience? <clears throat> and would you just consider what great growth can arise from a small act of obedience? All right, moving on, verses 33 to 34, we've got this really cool little transition. Okay. So Jesus has been teaching the crowds. He's used these two parables and Mark tells us that he used many other parables to teach them. So let's read 33 and 34 together. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. Okay, so Mark makes it clear here that Jesus uses parables with crowds, but he speaks plainly with his disciples, and this is our transition here. We're moving away from the crowds, and we know that Jesus is about to speak plainly. So get ready, buckle up, um, because it's an amazing story. And I think there's something here for us, just for, for each one of us today. You know, you, you're in a crowd right now. And I know God uses, I can't even tell you how many crowds I've sat among and just learned and sat at the feet of Jesus. But I will tell you that if you want Jesus to speak very plainly to you, it is best to just get alone with him and with your Bible and let him do that. And that's how, that's the model that he used in the Bible. So, all right, here we go. My favorite part here, Mark. Chapter 4, verses 35 to 41, let's read them together. Jesus calms the storm. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with them and a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion, and the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified, and they asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Okay, so this this story messes with me on so le- so many levels. But let me first start by saying, when David asked me to stand up here and do this, this, it was months ago. Okay, and I knew we were in we were in the book of Mark, but he was in like the 18th verse of the first chapter of Mark. And I remember thinking to myself, the week that he asked me, I covered this story with my high school girls Bible study. And I remember thinking very distinctly, I think this is what I'm going to end up preaching on. Isn't that amazing? I mean, truly God, you know, that's again, that's a God story. I got to share that. Tell people it was no coincidence. I just had a very strong feeling that this would be about where we would be. It's remarkable. All right. But, and this story also messes with me because I am afraid of open water. I didn't used to be. I grew up on a lake, but I am afraid of deep water. I'm afraid, and I'm, I'm, I'm afraid if I'm in a huge boat. I'm afraid if I'm in a small boat. I have to manage my anxiety when we get, when we get away from shore. It's really, really true. So when you think about God's word, I would encourage you to use your imagination and try to connect your story to God's story because just even that little bit has helped me sort of see this story in a whole new way. Because this is some dark days. This is a dark moment for the disciples here. So, all right, so let's just break it down. Let's go through it verse by verse, my favorite way to do it. So, verse 35 says, That day when evening came. So, what day is it? Well, it's the same day, pardon me, it's the same day that he's been standing in a boat teaching the crowds who were just standing on shore. The crowds were crushing in. It was too intense. He had to get into a boat and stand out a little ways from the shore, and he taught the, the crowds. All right, that's what day this is. And it's worth noting, once again, we, ha- we are departing the crowds, okay? And we've already established that Jesus speaks plainly with his inner circle. So we're leaving the crowd, and we can be sure that God is about to speak to us very directly. All right, <clears throat> There were other boats with them. Don't miss the fact that it wasn't just one boat that God calmed the storm for. There were multiple boats that benefited from this amazing miracle that God performs, that Jesus performs. So verse 37, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so it was nearly swamped. So here's a little uh, geography lesson for you about the Sea of Galilee. It's fascinating. It is lies nearly 700 feet below sea level. You're picking up what I'm putting down. It's the Mediterranean Sea is up here and the basin that the Sea of, the Galilee, sea of Galilee sits in is 700 feet below sea level, way down here. Yeah, there it is. Okay, so don't look at the bottom because that's gonna confuse you. Just look at this top map, okay? Mediterranean Sea on the left, Sea of Galilee on the right, actually, I think this is the Dead Sea that this map is showing, but the Sea of Galilee is just like the Dead Sea. It's just north of it. They're connected by a river, all right? Sea of Galilee is the lowest-lying body of water, fresh water, fresh water in the whole wide world, all right? So you can complicate that interesting bit of geography by surrounding the Sea of Galilee, this basin that it sits in, by hills and mountains that are strikingly high especially on the eastern side. So on the right side, Mount Hermon rises more than 9,000 feet above sea level. So it's just bizarre. We've got cold air coming over the tops of these mountains, and it's collapsing and colliding onto this very warm air, wet air, that's coming off the lake. So this produces tempestuous weather, conditions for the, which this lake is still famous for. And even today, fishermen will tell you that this lake is known for unpredictable, furious weather in the evening. Amazing. You could go to the Sea of Galilee today if you wanted to. not that amazing? You could just see where God performed this miracle. All right, so next slide, I'm going to show you the type of boat that these guys might have been using. It's, It's maybe, we've got a hunch that this is what they, the kind of boat they use. The top one is called the Galilee boat. It's just a fun fact. They pulled that out of the Sea of Galilee back in the 80s. It took them 12 days to get it out of the water and it took them 12 years to prepare that boat in order to be viewed in this way. But they've dated this, they carbon dated that top boat back to the first century. So definitely, definitely would have been the type of boat on the water when Jesus was walking the earth. So, but this lower diagram is really a more helpful one for you today because I want you to see that this boat would have been about 25 feet long, at about seven feet wide, and really only about four and a half feet high. The gunnels on the side were only four and a half feet high. So... There's a little deck at the front of the boat on the bow, and there's a little deck at the stern, okay, where, and then rowers would have sat down in that curve of the boat, all right? So that's, that's our boat, and this is our lake, <clears throat> and here we go. We know that these waves, it says the boat is nearly being swamped. I don't know if you were, any of you are active listeners, but how tall would these waves be, If the boat was being swamped, well, they're about five feet tall. They're five feet plus tall because the sides of the boat are four and a half feet. Wow. We got a huge, huge windstorm going, and these guys are in real trouble. Jesus was in the stern, verse 38, sleeping on a cushion. I wonder if you've been annoyed when you've read that part of the story Um, I think it's troubling. I think it's a troubling line. But today, I would ask you to uh, maybe just attempt to cherish this sleepy Jesus. He was a man who experienced life the same way we did. And Jesus' life at this point consisted of two things, walking and teaching all day long and spending time with people all day long. And then walking and spending time with people all day long. And Mark even tells us that all the way back in chapter one, that he could no longer enter villages and towns. And he had to stay out in lonely places, in wilderness places. He is not in the Motel 6. He's in a lean-to out in the woods, staying away from people at night. So we have an exhausted Jesus, and I think it it would be worth our while to just try to love him as he sleeps and remember how exhausted he must have been. He is literally sleeping through a hurricane. That's tired. Um, And fun fact, this is the only mention of Jesus sleeping in the whole New Testament. All right, so Jesus would have been sleeping on the deck if it, if it ever bothered you. How could Jesus be sleeping? Is there water in his ears and going up his nose? No, he would have been sleeping in that stern area on the deck um, above the water. All right, our disciples wake him up and they scream at him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, he rebuked the wind and the waves and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. So my favorite three words of this passage are in verse 39 and it's just, he got up. And man, I just, it just got me yesterday. I was thinking about it and I was thinking, man, God stood up, watch out. God stands up. <laughs> You're about to see it. Um, so yeah, God stands up. Jesus stood up and he rebuked the wind. So it's interesting. Commentary tells us that when it says he rebuked the wind, he's actually using the same language that he would use in a Jewish exorcism. Um, these, this could also be translated, be muzzled or be quiet, stay quiet. So we can't help but think of all the demons that Jesus has handled, the dark forces that Jesus has handled in chapters 1 through 4 of Mark. And the first thing he does every time is he silences them. And then he handles them and sends them out and casts them out. He does the same exact thing here. And what I do think that our writer wants us to know is that Jesus is Lord of all spiritual forces and He's Lord over all chaotic and meteorological forces. All forces of nature are in his, under his domain. Right, verse 40, he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified. They asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So we see that Jesus can do, Jesus can do what only God can do here. Jesus is... Totally proving that he is God and Lord over the weather and all forces. So these disciples have seen Jesus cast out demons. They've seen him heal the sick. They've seen him teach crowds uh, with all kinds of authority. But this this miracle puts that, puts Jesus in a whole new category, a whole new place. And we know and that he, the, Jesus, is Lord of the weather and all forces. But At this point, he is not the Lord of these disciples' lives yet. It's amazing that Mark, Mark, Mark makes Jesus a man of mystery. And he asks him, he he highlights all the questions. And he leaves you with the questions in order to teach you. So let's run through four questions that are in this story. All right. And I hope that... I hope that you'll just take one, just take one of these questions with you today and noodle on it and think about it. All right. So let's take the very first one. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? So commentary says that the disciples were frustrated and desperate when they asked this. This was rude language. This was over the top and over direct the way they, they are regarding Jesus, the way they're addressing Jesus here. And I think that all of us can identify with coming to the Lord and saying, don't you care? Do you see how unfair this is? Don't you even care? And I, I, would, I would say you, we sh- you should feel free to ask him if he cares, but I would just encourage you to move on from that question. It's really the wrong question. Um, the thing that the disciples did not ask for here was help they didn't ask for help so you can ask Jesus if he cares but I would go right on as quick as you can to the better question which is God would you send help Lord would you get involved Jesus would you save us that is that is your your best move maybe more than complaining (laughs) Uh, second question why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now this is Jesus questions and they really go together. You can't take them apart. That's why I've got them on the same line. All right. So up to this point in the gospel of Mark, Jesus always uses questions to teach. So if it hurts your feelings, just a a tiny bit that, that Jesus turns, calms the wind and turns right around his disciples and says, why are you so afraid? I would love for you to take a moment today to reframe these words and remember that this is Jesus' wisdom and teaching. This is how Jesus teaches. He asks great questions, okay? This is not a word of condemnation, and you want to remember that Jesus only rebuked the wind. He did not rebuke his disciples. He just asked them two really fantastic questions, and they are for us today. God is interested in your growth. He's interested in your development. So, all right, notice God, Jesus does not ask them, why don't you have more knowledge? It just, no, he asks them, why are you so afraid? He questions their fear. So I would say it's important to note here that perhaps the biggest barrier to faith is not a lack of knowledge, but giving way to fear. You could put it another way, that a great litmus test for your faith is not how much you know, but how little you're afraid of. Um, This is how... This is how God, this is how Jesus was measuring their faith. Uh, Jesus is still asking today, why are you so afraid? If you can face this question, it really will grow and teach you. He's interested in growing your faith. And I think delving into this question has power to free us from things that we're afraid of. It's a probing question, and I think it will help clarify and distill your thoughts, and it will reveal your deep motives, your strivings, your weaknesses, your longings, your wounds. So as we catalog our fears, as we take time to actually sit down and think about, what am I afraid of and why am I so afraid? When you catalog things like that, you are going to be ready and able to surrender them because you know what they are. But so many times we just don't even take time to think about what we're afraid of. So if God is Lord of all heaven and all earth, and he is master of all the spiritual world, is he not also the Lord of the things you're afraid of? And would you consider giving those things to him today? And finally, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This is our disciples finishing question here. Mark just drops the story. With who is this? It's amazing uh, writing technique. This question I would leave you with today, it's probably the most important question that we're gonna talk about. If you know Jesus, you will do well to comp- contemplate this question why? In order to grow your faith. Because as we think about who he is, it will grow our faith. So I just made a little catalog here. I'll read off. These are just the first things that came to my mind when I thought, who is Jesus? Well, he's Lord of heaven and earth. He's the most high God. He's everlasting. He's our healer. He's our righteousness. He's the one that holds all things together with the power of his word. He's the lamb of God, the king of kings. He's mighty to save. There's so many things to say about who he is. Take a moment and meditate on it. And when you do that, when you take a time to think about who he is, Then bring those fears that you've cataloged and taken time to decide what is it I'm afraid of when you bring those fears into his presence. You are going to watch your fears shrink and fade and grow completely transparent in the presence of this awesome, awesome God. And finally, I would say, if you don't know Jesus, this is the most important question you could ever think about. It's the number one thing you could use your brain To think about the number one thing. A.W. Tozer says, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. So I would encourage you to think on this question. Who is this Jesus? God is a gentleman and he doesn't force his way on anyone. And if he gave us all the information, we'd have no choice but to fall at his feet and call him Lord and Savior. There really is some mystery. He's left room for some mystery. And that's our faith gaps the bridge between, that, between us and him. So if you don't know him, this question is a doorway to faith for you today. Jesus is God's answer to a broken world. He loves us. And if you want to know him and if you want to be forgiven by him and if you want to live with him forever, you do have to come to him through Jesus. So consider who is this even the wind and the waves obey him. Let's pray. Isaiah 41:13 says, "I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear. I will help you." Lord, thank you that you are in each and every one of our boats. And you are more than able to defeat our fears. Lord, would you grow our faith? We believe, Lord, help our unbelief. If there's anyone here who does not know you, Lord, I pray that they will say yes to you and make you Lord of their lives. How great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no God but you. Amen.
0: Thank you so much. It's wonderful. Um, we're going to close uh, with some worship and ministry. So if ministry teams, if you guys would come up and I just, that one question, those three words that Nancy said, he got up. If there's a place in your life where you need Jesus to get up, we want to pray for you in that area today. So as you as she was talking, if you're thinking, uh, if I was honest, uh, I think he's sleeping too. And I'm, I'm kind of, I'm frustrated. Then we, we want you. We want to pray with you. If she was as she was sharing, if you're thinking this is an area where I, where I, I I'm afraid, we want to pray for you. If the, again, if there's just an area where in your mind you would say he's he's just not being active, and I need him to be active. You need Jesus to stand up. We want to pray that you would see that in your life in a way that would be encouraging to you. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church sermon of the week. We'll be